Carton. Blair. Buddy, episode one three. One three. My gosh, we've done it. Yeah. Is it is is it only the thirteenth floor that's bad, or is the number I think it's the number thirteen, isn't it? It's the number thirteen in general. And actually most hotels won't have an, a thirteenth floor. Right. Right. They'll but skip it's okay, right, because it. it's Friday the thirteenth. Exactly. Thirteen uh-huh. is just an unlucky number. Why? I'm not sure. Actually, hmm. do you do you you know how some people say they have lucky numbers? Do you have a yep. lucky number? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. No, I don't think so. I'm I'm not a lucky person. <laughs> I've never I never I never like win <laughs> random drawings or like anything <laughs> like that. I don't think um, I think in general I I have little to no luck. So I I wouldn't say I would say fifteen because that's like my birthday date. But uh, no, no, I don't have. Do you have a lucky number? No. And in when I was a little kid, I used to say it was seven, but that was never because it was my lucky number. I just liked the number seven. Don't don't ask me why. I, have, I was going to say no, why do you like it so much. I have no connection with the number seven. Okay, so I will tell you this: when I was a little dude and I used to draw, I used to draw a lot, you know, and and I would draw let numbers and letters actually but i would draw numbers and then i would make faces out of the numbers okay Okay. yeah and i mean you know when i was i was i'm saying i was probably like seven or eight but anyway for some reason the number seven had awesome faces you know just like oh that's cool that's cool and so yeah the number seven was kind of my favorite for for, number eight how do you do with the number eight? That's it strikes me as a good face number. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Well, in in these numbers, a lot were from the side, you know. So oh, it wasn't like you're looking okay. directly at it's like number seven, oh, you know, and it just kind of like yeah, yeah just in the corner of his eye. Okay, I can. Yeah. Think. So yeah. anyway, um, but I, I don't know that it's ever been my lucky number. I don't. I'm like you. I don't know that I've ever had a lucky number. No, I've never had a lucky number, and I've had very little luck. I'm not like I have members of my family that. We'll be like, hey, do you think we should stop at this gas station? Oh, sure. I'm going to go grab a Snickers and they'll walk in back. You're the one million customer. Here's a free bag of anything. <laughs> they just went. It's like everywhere they go, the, this stuff just falls into the lap constantly. I'm not you, that type of person. Your family? You thing that, people in your family? <laughs> yeah, like my sister's one of those people. Like, yeah, I went to this conference. I wasn't even going to go. I showed up and they gave me a free iPad. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's great. The only thing that's fallen into my lap is hot soup. That's the kind of luck I have. Oh, geez, wow. Well, I've yeah. I've had a couple of instances in my life where I got lucky. I went to a a guy invited oh, me to tell. Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Well, oh, this, this guy, <laughs> this guy invited me to go with him to a. Uh, it was a, a fundraiser. Yeah, uh-huh. it, it was. It was a fundraiser, and. Uh, I didn't know, I had just moved to the town and so I didn't know people very well. And he's like, well, you know, this would be a good opportunity for you to meet people. So we go there. He gives me my ticket, right? He buys mm-hmm. it for me. Well, on yeah. the ticket is numbers, right? Yeah. At the at the end of the night, they have this huge raffle, right? And everybody takes your ticket and you put it in this thing and then they yeah, yeah, the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, guess what the grand prize was? Mm, I have no idea. A golf cart. Oh, cool. That's actually a a really nice golf cart. Yeah. So, so this goes on. It comes down to between me and one other guy. There's two tickets left in the hat. No way. What? Yeah. Yeah. Literally the first, the, the number one prize was a golf cart. The second runner up was a, was a really expensive set of drivers. 
you know, oh, uh, cool. golf, okay. golf club. So went either way. Yeah. So so what they did was when it got down to two tickets, they allowed the crowd to try to buy one of the tickets. Oh, okay. That's cool. That's cool. Okay. Because at this point, you either win a $600 set of clubs or a $7,000 golf cart, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they start having people making offers to try to buy your ticket. And so I think I ended up selling my ticket for 900 bucks. Right? Yeah, buddy. That's worth it. Well, because I, I didn't want either. I didn't want the golf cart or the thing. The, the obvious thing to do is you win the golf cart, you just sell it. Oh, of course. But. Yeah. but Anyway, so turns out my ticket was the winning ticket. So the guy that bought my ticket for 900 bucks turned around and won himself a new golf cart, right? Nice. So, well, so then there's the awkward, the guy that gave me the ticket. Oh. Okay. oh Should oh. I have given him any money? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Was he sitting there with his hand out? Kind of like, oh, man, gosh. I'm so glad you came. Um <laughs> It's nice of us to do things no, together. No, he was like, he was like, oh, well, he was kind of explaining as things went because I'd never gone before, you know. And yeah, he was kind of okay. Now, now, guys are going to try to buy your ticket. I'm like, oh, okay, well, all right, all right, it's for sale. And uh, but anyway, so when it was all over, I, you know, I didn't even offer the guy any money, you know. And I thought, and he oh, never shit. called you again. <laughs> no, well, actually, funny story. He was my boss. Oh, yeah. yeah, I worked for him. I worked for oh, that is funny. Yeah, that is funny. But but I'll be completely, full disclosure, uh, it was right, off, right after my wife and I got out of college and we were poor. We, yeah. <laughs> that 900 bucks, I mean, it was like, that was a lot of money, you know? And I'm like going, ooh, this is awesome. Well, so, if he was a good yeah. guy, he probably knew, right? He was, he's probably like, he's, he wasn't expecting any kickback. No, well, he, he, he probably, I don't know. He, <laughs> he probably wasn't, but I look back at it now, you know, it was 20 years ago and I'm like, man, should I have thrown the guy a hundred bucks? You know, uh, maybe should I have gave him a hundred just for the yeah. invite. It would have been a nice gesture, but I, you know, in the moment <laughs> you don't think about it. You're like, man, I just got 900 bones, man. That was, I Give me a that. ride home. <laughs> Come on, in Kevin, my let's new get the hell out of here. golf cart. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh yeah. no, I, I think about it and I'm like, yeah, you know, what would, you know, what would you, what, what would you do if you had to do it again? And I, I probably would. And, yeah, and, yeah, and I didn't much. consciously think about it at the time. You know, I didn't think I should give money. I decided not to. I didn't even think of it. Well, yeah, just, of course. You're just so hyped up. Your adrenaline was going crazy. You just won. Well, yeah. You know, I because, you know, I, I'm not like your sister. I don't win all the time, you know, yeah, so that was kind of a... stuff like that never happens to me. That's <laughs> I, In fact, to the point where I just quit buying like, raffle tickets. And you're like, well, well, there you go. That's why it never happens because you never buy raffle tickets or anything. Well, when, it's a foregone conclusion. <laughs> okay. So, even... so let me put a different spin on this for you, though. Okay. okay so yeah. you consider yourself not a lucky person, but... Right. Um, you have two healthy children. Yeah, but I didn't have right? to win a raffle for them. I mean, I no, but 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 I mean, but think about that. Think of you know, in in this when I, when my kids were babies and when we yeah. had our, it freaked me out because I I I I was aware of all the potential problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that kids can have. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah. it's like yeah, you know, and. Uh, some people take it for granted, but you know, my wife is a nurse and I worked in the medical industry industry. And I mean, I was aware of, you know, God, you know, one little thing goes wrong in development, then you got this problem. And I, it did make me nervous, you know? Um, and it's like you, 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 you know, when you have a, a child, a baby and everything's good, how, you know, do you really go, man, I'm really lucky, you know? 
We don't, yeah, but, I, we, I mean, but we are, you know? Yeah. I mean, truly, in all reality, yes, you're 100% right. To put it that way, yes, 100%. I'm very, very lucky in uh, many aspects of my life. But I would consider that more, I don't know if that would be like, like when I can, when I consider luck, I'm thinking luck like as in, in games of chance and things like that. Right. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm not really thinking about it in like terms of my my life or where i've gotten right i would consider more those like blessings as opposed yeah. to being like lucky you know what i mean yeah <laughs> no i think that's a really good observation but it, it is but you know you think about it isn't, isn't it amazing though because it again truly it is how, how it we is. how we overlook some things that are you know and to use your word blessing which it is but you know and how fortunate we are that when things go right they go right because again you know you think about like having a child or maybe not something so serious but that when you have a, a potential outcome that there's a thousand different ways things can go wrong but they go right yes. you know right and and that can happen all the time oh yeah well it happens every day i mean i i, I drove in <laughs> terrible weather today i mean honestly you think about how many people spin out on terrible roads i was fortunate to make it home today we we actually had some whiteout conditions but that being said that, that kinds of stuff happens all the time for sure so in that yes thank you for you're, putting in you're lucky you're very <laughs> you're the most you're lucky like, guy i know Cardinal. i'm the luckiest guy i should go buy a lottery <laughs> ticket <laughs> no, 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 not oh, that kind of lucky. Oh, okay, yeah, never mind. I'm not that lucky. <laughs> hey, um, yeah. when was the last time um you tried some cambo? Cambo? Yeah, cambo. I don't know. <laughs> You're not sure. Well, I'll, I'll let you know is. that you you would probably know it's cambo if you found a uh, poisonous frog and tied him to a stick. And then uh, put that frog really close to an open fire so that he got nervous and started to secrete his poison. And then you took a stick and uh, took that poison and, and put it into an open wound that was created by hot embers. You haven't done that lately? Oh, no. I, I'm just trying to visualize your that, you know, great oration. So, it, but the so the poison doesn't kill you when you put it in a hot wound. No, it doesn't. Actually, what it does is it induces what they consider a, a nuclear-like flu that lasts fifteen minutes. So this is a trend. This is a trend that's taking taking uh, sweeping the West Coast. I shouldn't say sweeping, but it's definitely happening. Where they're having these parties where a cambo is being administered. And what essentially happens is within the first 60 seconds, your face swells, like almost you had a terrible plastic surgeon. Uh, and then uh, you get uh, immense fever pains. And over the course of the next 10 to 15 minutes, you will be uh, uh, projectile vomiting or um, the opposite, which we all know the opposite of that. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Are they, are they using frogs to do this? They're doing, yeah. You're, they're, they're getting it from frogs. <laughs> Any frog, or has it got to be a special frog? No, it's a very, very specific frog. Well, how in the fact, hell are people uh, getting these frogs? Well, because they become a hot item. So now they're. I, I think the people in the West Coast that are using the cambo aren't straight up getting it from frogs. But the way I described is how it's actually harnessed from the frogs or harvested oh, harvested okay okay and then they so then they bottle it up so they to go. speak they bottle up they sell it and then somebody pays 150 bucks to go to these parties and then uh they get some cambo 
Oh my God. Is there any kind of a high to it whatsoever? None. People would describe it as one of the worst pains they've ever had for about 15 minutes. And And they do uh, this for, I guess, a cleansing quality. They're done. They feel cleansed. Like it's better than any cleanse you've ever had. So they're vomiting and they're 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 having diarrhea and it's just this massive cleanse. And so they're actually doing it almost kind of as a health benefit. They're doing it as a as an alt wellness. That's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, uh, one uh, woman described it as she uh, was the worst pain she's ever had. And then afterwards, uh, she was encouraged to look into the bucket she had been vomiting into for the last fifteen minutes to determine um, if she was successful in her cleanse or not. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Why not, you know, uh, uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, just go to the store and get some Ipecac. Yeah, I was going to say, right? you know what? I've got a cleanse for you. I'm just going to punch you in the face a couple times. <laughs> well, right I, don't, I just, okay, and once again, what is that called? Cambo. 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 God almighty. Nuts. I mean, I'm sorry. That's crazy to me. That's insane to me. Why not get on a treadmill? (laughs) I mean, I know everybody does things differently, but get on a treadmill for a little bit. Get a good, go into a sauna. Yeah. I will just put the chips down. Uh, right. (laughs) If I got a vial of Cambo uh, in my, in my cabinet (laughs) versus just, you know, not, eating the chips. I think I'm going to just put the chips down. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, there's nothing, the there's nothing about that. That sounds appealing it's at not all. Like a weight thing. I think for these people, it's like some people are like, I've had terrible migraines for years and nothing that has been successful except for Cambo. Uh, one person described it as they were vomiting out, um, terrible anger that they've had and held on to since their divorce for like four or five years. They were fi- finally able to cleanse it out of them with Cambo. Oh boy. Yeah, I don't mm. know. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess that would be one of those things that if it works, I guess it works for them. I mean, you know, if a, if a person tells you, "Hey man, I couldn't get over my divorce till I hit the frog poison and now yeah. I just can't like, get out of my head the image of tying a frog to a stick and putting him close to a fire so that he gets nervous enough to secrete this cambo." Yeah, that is kind of interesting. It is well, I know there's so down in South America they have the little frogs and yep. they do rub the um like the poison darts. They'll rub it on them and get the get the toxins on them. They're extremely toxic, I guess. Some yeah. some frogs. Well, so, I think poison. I think poison dart frogs will kill you, but I think there's yeah. some frogs yeah. that you'll lick that you'll trip from, right? Licking toads. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess I need to do more research. Oh, there is. I think there is a frog that you could distill a, a, a psychedelic from, but I think poison dart frogs can can kill you if it's distilled. Oh, that's, that's that would be a, an appropriate name. I, I think those like down there in the jungle, they they make those blow darts, and that's what they kill yeah. like monkeys and stuff with. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. You know that is. Yeah, that's an insane. Uh, I don't know. What would you call that? A fitness trend or just a, a, a wellness? Some They're sort of describing a... describing it as this term, which I've never heard, alt wellness. Oh, like alternative wellness. Okay. Exactly. It's a new alt wellness trend, which hmm. I've never... This is the first article I've ever seen alt wellness in. 
Yeah. Okay. Welcome everybody to the alt wellness gathering. Okay. Uh, first of all, we're going to kick you in the balls with logging boots. Honestly though, that's, it's funny you would say that because the first they describe these, uh, um, these things that they do first. And one is they, some, they blow tobacco up people's noses, almost like a snus or snus. I always say that word. Snuff. 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 No, it's snus. With an S, isn't it? No. Anyways, I don't know what it is. They literally blow it into there, described as feeling like you're being electrocuted through your nose. Why? Oh, I don't. They put drops of something in their eyes that's described as feeling like your cornea is on fire. And after they do those, they they the 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 grand finale is the cambo. What kind of alt wellness is this? Jeez, I don't know. I don't I don't think I'd go to that camp. Yeah, that's not what I'm signing up for for sure. Ooh, nope. I'm, I'm not there. So. Well, uh, that, uh, wh- you know, just out of curiosity, where the heck did you find that? Cambo article? Yeah. Where'd, yeah, where'd you see that? I just uh, look around. I got my first <laughs> in, the the S&M, old? Huh? in the S&M uh, aisle. It's definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I've got my sources. All right. Back up. Okay. Huh? The Arnie Hammer uh, articles. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Okay. Well, listen. Uh, okay. So, um, so tonight's topic, Carden, yeah. is uh, kids and sports. Kids and sports. I have uh, two sports. young boys, two and three. Uh, my my days where sports will rule the house, I think, will be coming up soon. And uh, we both have um, had some. Uh, you're much more extensive uh, coaching than than I have, but both have some coaching experience too. So we kind of got um, different perspectives. Well, you had and your kids, your kids all did sports as well. Yep, yep, yep. So I you did. had uh, the father side, the coaching side. Did you ever? Um, did you ever um, do any refing or umpire or anything like that? You know, yeah, a, a little. I, I didn't really like the officiating much. Um, when, when in, in some instances where they were in a pinch, I would do it. I, some basketball refing, some some softball and baseball umping, things like that. Um, but yeah, I didn't really like that. You know, I I, I kind of like I, coaching fit me much better. You know, yeah. um, but but you know, in all the years I coached, I was I never ever got a technical. Or any kind of a, you know, I, I never got anything from, I, I never blew up at, at refs or umps or whatever. Because um, I realized it never did any, it never well, changed yeah. anything, no, you know. Doesn't. Yeah, exactly. You're and exactly right. and if you let the refs get in your head and then then that gets into your kids' heads and stuff. And we always preached, you know, you you stay focused and you, you know, you keep your emotions intact and, think, and you know, focus on what you're supposed to be doing. And you don't need to be blown up at refs and stuff like yeah, that. Exactly. And like I said, it, it, it doesn't work. No, and, and I was going to say that we always, I remember our philosophy too is when we coached football together was if, if you've gotten to a point where one call a ref makes changes the game, then there are many things that could have happened up to that point that, that yes. should have happened. You know what I mean? If it hinges on one call that a ref made, um, then you've put yourself in a bad position to begin with. So, you right. know, and like you said, the biggest thing is when you blow up and do that, you're directly um, giving passage for the kids to do the same thing you know what i mean they're they are looking at you at that point and saying okay this is exactly how i act towards referees in a sports setting 
Oh, absolutely. You, you have to, you know, and that was one thing I always took very, very seriously um, with the coaching was that I was a role model, you know, um, in with high school kids, you, you know, they all have to sign the contract that they won't uh, do alcohol and tobacco. And, you know, they're, they're basically saying, okay, you know, to abide by this contract, I sign my name and I promise that I will not break training rules and I won't do this. Well, I always, you know, early on in my coaching, I, I would see other coaches and they'd go downtown and they'd be at bars and they'd be, you know, carousing and stuff. And, and the kids would see them, you know, the kids would be out, you know, Dragon Main or whatever. And, and I just, I never liked that. I thought, you know, if, if I'm going to ask my kids to stay clean and, not break training, then, you know, what kind of a role model am I if I did it out in public? Now, if I'm going to be at my house, I never had a problem with having a beer or whatever. Um, but I wasn't a big drinker anyway, so it wasn't a big deal. But I, I just thought it was kind of hypocritical. And, you know, I, I know a lot of coaches say, listen, you know, I'm an adult. If I want to go have a beer, I can go have a beer. Yeah, you can. Absolutely. I personally felt it was a little hypocritical. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely see where form. you're coming from with that. And then you bring up a good point too, is that when you're a coach, that your coaching doesn't stop when when you walk off the field. I think everybody that's been in a situation like that knows that that's the case. Same with teaching or or any situation where you find yourself in a in a mentoring role, it doesn't stop once you're out of that. You know what I mean? It Absolutely. Has to be something that continues on. It's it's twenty four seven thing. You know, whether I was one thing with teaching was whether I was you know, Mr. Moore, Coach Moore, whatever. Guess what? Yeah. That's who I was in the grocery store too when the kids ran in, into me. Yeah. It, it, they, I didn't become Cardin all of a sudden. I was still Coach right. Moore. I was still Mr. Right. Moore. You know, it, it doesn't leave. It, it stays with you. Right. Well, and the, the big thing is, you know, for me, um, co- coaching was very valuable for a lot of reasons. But, um, you know, and you and I talked about this beforehand before we decided to talk about this topic was – one of the things I learned when I was coaching, um, and I coached a long time. I coached, what, 15, 17, 18, 20 years, whatever. Um, and, you know, the, the, the biggest thing I saw in the evolution of coaching is the, the dynamics, um, you know, there's kind of this triangle, okay? So you have an athlete, and then connected to that athlete, you have parents and family, I'll say. And then you have teammates, and you have coaching staff. And that kind of makes this this triangle, right? Um, and I, I really I really saw firsthand the impact of each one of those entities on that individual. Okay, and it, it just really made me become aware of how um, you know kids. In, in this case, we're going to talk about say like junior high and high school kids, even though I think yeah. it's applicable to younger kids and older kids, even kids in college. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, I don't think people realize the impact that they have, you know, um, on those athletes. And, you know, I, I guess specifically, cause that's kind of a broad description, but specifically, um, the, the parental impact I saw a lot of, yeah. and you and I've talked about this before, you know, I was the kind of coach where I, I kind of, um, nurtured uh, good relationships with my kids on and off the field or on and off the court or whatever, you know, and I always wanted them to know that I was approachable. You know, yeah. I was yeah. never their buddy, but always their friend was kind yeah. of my approach. 
And, and when, when you do that, you, you open up a lot of opportunity for them to kind of reach out to you when they, you know, they need advice or just want to have a discussion or kind of get something off their chest. So, so you get a lot of insight. And as a result, I saw a lot of, a lot of um, instances where there was a lot of weight on those kids because of the parents. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, you, and it, it's kind of funny because I think everybody's aware of the parents that were not athletes. And then they have a child that is athletic and they just, they go overboard. Yeah. 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 And, and they don't realize they're doing it. They, they think they're doing it out of love and support, but it, they don't realize how overwhelming it is, you know, for sure. Um, Yeah. And then you, and then you have the other parent that maybe was a good athlete Right. And then there's this expectation that you need to be as good as I was. And that's yeah. not good either. No, no. It well, it does the same thing just differently, pretty much. Well, you know? it, it just puts pressure on them. You know, yeah, it, exactly. it puts pressure yeah. on them. Yeah. And, and the, those, the, the parental athlete bond, you know, that was probably that relationship was probably the one that I saw create the most problem. And I, I, I really, there was, there was actually a time when I felt so strongly about this that I actually wanted to go around and, and give talks, just free talks at, at, you know, um, gyms or whatever, just gather people around that are interested in the topic about kids and sports, because I felt very strongly about it because I saw so many instances where it was a really negative factor on the kids, you know, um, and I actually felt like there there needed to be um, this public awareness about it, you know. And, and it, it it wasn't just that; that was a big part of it. But um, you know, there there's been this kind of evolution of parents, you know, the, these these sports parents. And now with YouTube, of course, you can you can find thousands of instances where parents are freaking out yeah. over, yeah. you know whatever yeah. you know the referees the coaches i've seen videos of parents running off the you know to on the, the field to beat up the coach or something it it just got it's gotten crazy you yeah. know and and you have to wonder you have to wonder where did all this when did all this start you know yeah. i mean because when i was a kid carton um you know i i guess I, i'm the vintage where uh if i got in trouble at school whether it was my fault or not it was always my fault you know, if my yeah, parents sure. heard about yeah. it, they didn't listen to my side of the story, right? No, my parents were 100% that way as well. Yep. And, and so somewhere it has changed where Junior can never do anything wrong. And if Junior did something wrong, well, it must be your fault, you know, yeah, being the coach or whatever. Coach, the and, referee, the teacher. You, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you get this weird, you know, the, the, the weird dynamics that, you know, as a coach, you're, you know, you, First of all, you have a responsibility to be, you know, um, a coach, right? I mean, you were you were hired to teach kids how to do a sport and to have to be successful with that sport, right? Yeah. I mean, winning right. games is is obviously the point. Um, as a part of that, there's a lot of juggling that goes on because there's a, there's a lot of dynamics with the kids, and especially when you start talking younger kids, right? It's not about winning so much as you know, it's development, right? Right. Yeah. But when you get to the varsity level, at that point, it's really about winning. You know, I mean, you of course you want your kids to have fun and enjoy it, but you you need to be successful because that's the expectation, right? Yeah. And and so you're trying to juggle all this. You're trying to be a coach and you're trying to be successful, but at the same time, you're working with all these individuals, 
All right. And you, you can't just take a vanilla approach to everybody, you know, um, because everybody's a little different and yeah. the, the dynamics of, of, you know, this kid versus that kid at home may be completely different, you yeah. know, and, and it was really challenging. And, and like I said, it, 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 you, you see all this going on and you see the impacts that parents have. And then there's the impact of the coaches, you know, right. and I've seen this as a parent and I've seen it as a coach and, you know, you, you just, the one thing that drove me crazy about, um, kids in sports and, and coaching is a lot of coaches out there forgot that it is a two way street of respect, right? Yeah. Um, and you, you had to have seen this when you were coaching that when a kid comes out to participate in the sport that you coach, okay, you need that kid there because if you don't have them, there's nothing yes. to coach, yep. right? So, so in, in essence, they're doing you a favor by being there as well, right? I mean, they're, they're coming to your program and they want to learn and participate, yep. but you need, you need them to be there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think that... I, th- I think it's really easy too in that mutual to forget that respect. I think the classic example of forgetting that uh, respect is when you have a, on a varsity level sport, uh, especially in a sport where there's no cuts or anything, you have somebody that comes out that is clearly not up to the talent level. And so the, the respect that is lost is from a coach to the individual to forget um, that exactly like you said, you need that person there to, just in the very basics for scout teams, you know, to be able to, to get good looks. But also at the other time, you, you forget that it's, you know, coaching varsity sports is about winning, but it's also about um, creating good people. You know what I mean? I mean, there's a, there's a whole other aspect of being able to use sports to create well-rounded humans and to use sports as an avenue to teach these other fundamentals of just being a good person. And you owe it to that kid that keeps coming out to, to do that as well. And that's where that mutual respect comes from instead of, oh, this guy keeps coming out and he kind of ends up just occupying space on the bench. You forget exactly, okay, well, why is this guy coming out and what is he trying to really get out of this entire thing? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. And we've talked about this before where, you know, there, I haven't coached a kid yet that was going to lose a game for me. You know, yeah. Um, it, 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 there's always opportunities to play kids. Okay, exactly. And they yep. can be the worst of the worst. You know, if there's such a thing, but there's going to be games. There's going to be opportunities in those games that those kids can get on the court or get out and get on the field. Okay, right. And and half the reason they're coming out too is you got to think about it in in the whole high school experience about a kid being able to put put on the jersey on a Friday. You know what I mean, and wear it around the halls or or to find that camaraderie that he might not be having anywhere else but that he can be a part of a team he can be a part of something bigger than himself and at that point at that point you got to look at the individual kid and you have to say for this kid this is not about him or her winning the game this is about something completely different and how do i um help um to fulfill the need for this individual because there's a reason they're coming out and and you know practices aren't easy you know, and they, they're yeah. time consuming and seasons are time consuming, but this person still putting in the time and still putting in the effort, um, knowing probably full well that they're, you know, they're not the best out there. So why do they keep coming out? You know what I mean? And I think coaches, yeah. coaches forget that. And when they forget that, then they, 
they they lose that exact thing that you're talking about that mutual respect well it, it is it's a, it's a big thing and there and going back to the dynamics thing there's there's and you you have to be aware of the other dynamics that could be involved for example you say well, why would a kid come out and participate even if he's not playing? Well, some of them maybe they don't want to. It's a it's a parent making them do it. You yeah, know, that's true. Yep. And and what a miserable position to be in. You know, because look, for example, I'm going to use football. Um, football is a contact sport, and it you know the practices were hard. There was a lot of contact. You know, you practice tackling, you you do live drills every day. So imagine for somebody, a, a, a boy in this case, that doesn't like contact, right? They're just not yeah. physical kids. Yeah. That, that is awful, you know, for them to have to go out there and be a tackling dummy and do scout offense or scout defense. And especially if they're not very good, then the varsity, you know, they just, you know, pummel those guys. Right. And, you know, that's, that's torture. That really is very unfortunate. And, and if a parent thinks that somehow they're trying to build character, um, or you know what we're gonna we're gonna teach this kid you know he needs to he needs to you know get tougher. That's a that's a really bad idea. I feel okay. Um, there's other ways to you know to get the point across without making them do something that they absolutely hate. Right, and at the at the very basic level, that's the, uh, such an easy avenue for for longstanding injuries. I mean, it's uh, well, in, in yeah. football, especially at the varsity level. I don't care where you're at at the varsity level. There, there are kids that are developed that have been playing, that have been weightlifting. I mean, you know, um, and and they can really they can hurt other kids. Oh, yeah, especially a kid that's yeah. underdeveloped, doesn't really, you know, put the time and the effort into because he doesn't want to be there anyways. And then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's getting a serious injury that could have easily been avoided um, just by not having them even out there if they didn't want to be there. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it, it, it is. And in, in a small school, it's even worse because in a small school, you need numbers, right? You know, if you go to school with 2,500 kids, you're going to get enough kids to field a, a you know, a varsity team, a JV right. team, and you go to a school with, you know, 150 kids, you might not. So you kind of need, and there, therein comes the, the peer pressure, right? Part of that triangle. Now you got teammates and, yep. and classmates, right? Well, you got to play, Mike. We really need you. You know, we need another guy. And, and, and that's all part of it. I mean, that's a, that's a development thing too, but it, it just, like you said, as a, from a coaching perspective and seeing this and you, you kind of, kind of look for it. Um, it's hard on kids. Now, I'm yeah, not it saying is. it's always detrimental. Sometimes it's a, it's a good thing for them to go through and it, it is a development thing, you know? And I think a lot of times it ends up being one of those, I didn't think I could do this, but I did it and I'm happy I did it. You know, yeah. that's, that's the best case scenario for those kind of kids. Yeah, for sure. The other ones are like the ones you're talking about where they get hurt or they never really do like it and they're not successful and it hasn't helped their confidence whatsoever. No, exactly. In fact, it's probably done the exact opposite for yes. to, um, as far as their confidence goes. And it's funny you would bring up the the small school aspect to it as well that and, and the peer pressure that you get from um, kids that extends, uh, I think, um, especially as a teacher, 
Um, I saw it extend to to just the other teachers. I mean, you're in a small school. You have a kid that has, you know, relative, I'm, I'm talking football. Let's just use football example because, you know, we coached. And uh, a kid that has relative size, he's a junior. The numbers are small. He doesn't go out for the team. He doesn't want to play football. But, but you have many teachers that, that are removed from the from the football organization, except for the fact that they're at the school, almost giving these kids a hard time for not coming out for the football team, which I think is uh, which which is crazy to me. Honestly, you know, I feel like um, there there's definitely some. Uh, maybe some motivation that you can give to them and maybe inquire and see. But when it comes down to it, uh, uh, harassing the kid for not going out for a sport, I think is uh, honestly, I can't even wrap my head around that mentality. I I just don't understand it. Well, I can, you know, I, I, I can speak at, of that from two different perspectives. One is a coach, but the other one that, and this was more relevant was as a father. So, um, my youngest son, um, when he was, well, he got a concussion, a severe concussion. He fell and hit his head on concrete when he was about four or five, knocked him out. Um, you know, was really sick. He, he, he we had a, actually a, a doctor that was a friend of ours came over and looked at him at the house and everything and said, yeah, you know, he's, he's got a bad concussion. So, so that was ding number one. Right. And yeah. then when he was older, he got another concussion. Okay. So, so the kid had two concussions before he was uh, 15. Um, and we decided he played football through junior high. Okay. And he was a quarterback and, you know, there, his eighth grade year was rough. The, the line was not good. Um, he got pummeled. I mean, they just, you know, he got sacked multiple times every game. They just, there was no defense, uh, or there, there was no offensive, line there really to speak of and so he got pummeled um and and he was okay with it but you know at that point we're kind of looking at this going you know he's gonna get hurt and with two concussions already so when he got into high school and he he liked football but he was a basketball guy and you know sarah yeah Um, he loved basketball and he he liked football but he was good at football and we had to come down to that point where is this what you need to do? You know, is this good for you to do? And now, is this a, 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 when you're saying this, is this an actual conversation then that you're having with Sarah or is this absolutely? Yes. Okay. When we did. Mm-hmm. And, and so a lot of this goes back to my, my background in sports medicine and the, the CTE stuff was coming out, um, way before people heard about it in the papers. There, there was a lot of talk about CTE, um, you know, well before it actually came out. And, this and is you're the, talking the concussion trauma, right? Yes, yes. And so we were aware of it. And of course, when I worked in the sports medicine business, I knew about it. And I I really, I, I started getting kind of really sensitive to that before everybody, you know, again, before it was really a hot topic, knowing that Sarah had two concussions prior and knowing that, you know, uh, the, the likelihood and the possibility of getting a third were high. Yeah. Okay? There, a lot of concussions happen during football. It's just a fact. And, yeah. and even if people don't label it a concussion, it's a concussion, you know, yeah. it, it's it, it, actually by today's standards, it's even hard to define concussion. Just think of it as head trauma. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Head trauma. Right. So the decision was made. He was not going to play football. Okay. So you have this six, three, 
athletic kid in school and how many times people said, why aren't you playing football? Why aren't you playing now, football? Did, uh, did, did Sarah bring that to you? Did he have the, um, like, was he, was this discussion that you had afterwards? You made a decision. You're not doing football. Were parents coming to you asking why Sarah wasn't playing? Was Sarah telling you, my friends are giving me a hard time or what? So how was this coming back to you? You know, actually, um, we would hear some from Sarah, but it really wasn't his friends so much. His friends actually were probably the best. He he probably got less peer pressure on this. The ones that really disappointed me were uh, the superintendent, okay, of the school, the principal of the school. Yeah. yeah. Um, other, I don't, I don't know so much because I coached and they knew me as a football coach. And, you know, I, I think the other coaches respected, you know, the fact he wasn't playing, but no, I would have people, you know, like the superintendent come up and say, no, why isn't Sarah playing? Well, he's had a couple of concussions and, and that's enough. You know, we're, we're done with this. Oh, well, you know that, and, and they would, they would kind of start to have the conversation, but they realized that it, it wasn't, you know. A, they don't know enough about it to have a conversation, and B, they weren't going to change. Your mind. They weren't going to persuade you. Yeah, for no, sure. not at all, yeah, not at all. Yeah. And and so I I saw it firsthand from what he went through. Um, again, you know, even his senior year, even his senior year, and you know, he he talked to us his senior year and he said, you know, gosh, maybe maybe I should just play football this year. And we're going, you know, buddy, listen, you got basketball scholarships. Why would you risk that yeah, now? What are you doing now? Yeah, exactly. You know, right. Why risk it, you know, tearing out your ACL or getting another concussion? I said, you know, you've done really well in basketball. You focused on it. And it was it was hard on him. I know watching him going to the games and seeing all of his friends play and stuff. But ultimately, um, and I, I think, you know, and I actually I know he agrees it was the right decision to make. Yeah. You know, f- football is a very controversial thing. And, and I'll, I'll just say this. I quit coaching football because of that very reason. Um, I saw too many kids getting hurt and yeah. I just couldn't justify it anymore. You know, and I'm not condemning football because I know it's an extremely popular sport. I'm just saying for, for me personally, um, I spent most of my professional life in, in the sports medicine business and my whole, you know, the whole goal of what I tried to do was prevent injury and rehab injury. And here I was coaching a sport that injury was, um, you know, it was, it was unavoidable. Yeah. And I think, uh, I, I feel the exact same way. And of course my, my kids are young and two and three and, um, with what I saw out there in football, it's the exact same way. And especially with, you said the new research and everything like that, that's, that's coming out. I, I can't imagine me feeling comfortable with my boys, um, playing football. I can't imagine it. And now every, every sport has inherent risk. I mean, that's, that goes without being said, but I, I, it's, it's such heightened in football that I I don't know if I can subject them to that, um, just on, on the off chance that something does happen worst case. And then we're, we're dealing with the repercussions, um, for the rest of their life. Is it worth it for a extracurricular sport? Um, and I do want to bring up the fact too, we've kind of talked negatively about that, but I mean, we, we both agree and I don't want to speak for you, but that, that there is great, um, aspects to team sports. And there is a lot that people, um, kids, especially in junior high and high school that can get from extracurricular sports. I mean, I, I think it, it, predominantly they're really great things. Would you agree? 
Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, I, I I wouldn't have dedicated such a large part of my life to it if if I didn't believe in it. Um, and and you know, the, kind of the the whole topic about kids and sports. Um, you know, it is it is overwhelmingly positive. Yes, I think for most yeah, kids, that's what exactly what I want to get to. Overwhelmingly positive experiences for, for sure. most kids. And for and most and, kids, I, and yep. what I became concerned about. Again, going back to when I started really kind of taking notice to this, it it you know a lot of it had to do with the the athletes themselves, but a lot of it was just the demeanor of both co- coaches and parents. You know, aside from the athlete, you know, aside from the athlete that actually is going to work and doing it, you, you know, the thing that used to kill me is, um, you know, you, you take a kid and they're in a basketball game and they miss a free throw. Okay. Like maybe it's a crucial free throw. Maybe it's the free throw to win the game or the shot to win the game or, and they miss. And, you know, parents will come up and say, God, you know, Jimmy, you got to make those. Yeah. Really? Really? He, Jimmy doesn't know that. You know, Jim, you, you yeah, just, exactly. You, you know, yeah, exactly. of all the kids yeah. or all the people that absolutely do know that, Jimmy knows it. And, and to put that, you know, just that nonchalant, hey, bud, you got to make those, you know, that's the kind of shit that you, you're just going, that's the last thing. You need to say to a kid like that. Guy that. needs to hear. You, you think he doesn't? He doesn't know. Yeah, I completely yeah. agree with you. I completely yeah. agree. You know, in the in the in the trifecta of of everything too, we've talked about um, that kind of impact that you have on kids that make kids want to go. Well, I'm never playing this sport again. But coaches um, have such a, a, an impact on as much as the game is consistent between people, or excuse me, between. Um, schools and things like that you know baseball is baseball is baseball is what i'm getting at um coaches have such a significant impact on a the perception of an athlete um on that sport um and we've talked about this before about me not playing mm-hmm. football after certain times um but i had a a baseball coach that was the the same way too he was you know we, it was a traveling team that we played on and i was good enough to make the traveling team but apparently not good enough to play on the traveling team so i i made the team and then sat for an entire summer and barely played like the second half of the second game for like double headers and stuff like that and I was one of like two people that were ever on the bench and it ruined it for me. That was, that was literally it for me for baseball. And I lived and, and breathed it. That's all I ever wanted to do. And yeah. I look back at that experience and that was just a coach not giving a, a junior high kid a chance to develop. And of course I'm going to take it personally cause it was me. But you know what I mean? It's uh, uh, what was the I, I would think back and I think, what was the point of that? And and I think of that, of course, shaped a lot of my coaching uh, experience moving forward as well. But there's such a massive impact that coaches are having, um, whether they even realize it or not. You know what I mean? Well, absolutely. And that and that is something that I want to talk about. Um, so so, you know, we kind of define this triangle. Right. And it it. It's kind of funny because it, it starts out ab- about being about the player, the, the athlete, the boy or girl who's who's or man or woman who's doing the sport. Um, but 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 there's other there's other um, dynamics as well. Okay, the 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 relationship between the coach and the parents, you know, that's an yeah. interesting one too. That so so in the scenario you just pointed out, okay, you have a kid and he's sitting the bench. He's riding the pine. He's not getting in. So 
you know, that happens a lot. And my advice to my own kids, my advice to kids that I coached, my advice to other kids with other coaches, my advice to parents of kids who are with other coaches is somebody has to open dialogue with the coach. You can't assume to know what that coach is thinking. Okay. Um, a parent might see their son or daughter sitting the bench and they go, you know what? They just don't like them. You know, they're just doing yeah. it to be spiteful. Right. Well, there was an old saying is, um, don't judge a coach until you come to practice. Okay. So in other words, if a player isn't playing, there's probably more to it than you think. In other words, I don't know many coaches that really tried to lose by playing, you know, putting the talented players on the bench and bringing in kids that were less talented at that sport. Right. right. Yeah. Unless again, we're talking an opportunity that presented itself, but I'm saying in general, no coach wants to lose a game based on having his best players sitting. Okay. When they could be playing. So, so we know that. So when a kid isn't playing as much as a parent thinks, the first thing you need to do is the parent needs to get a reality check. Okay. Maybe your son or daughter isn't of that caliber yet. Okay. Maybe they're not a starter. Maybe they're not a person to, to play the majority of the game. Okay. And the only person that can really set that to rest is the coach. Right. So a lot of places and a lot of schools, they, you know, that you, you, you have the meeting with the coach before the season starts usually. And that's a chance for parents to meet the coach and to hear about how the program is. Now, here's what I'm going to say to parents listening is if it's junior high or elementary school, you are the advocate for that athlete. Okay. You can't expect, you know, a sixth grader to sit down with the coach and have a conversation on why he's not getting on the court. Okay? Right. Yeah. You're that athlete's advocate. And it is perfectly acceptable. It always was for me for a parent to, you know, set up a meeting with a coach, you know, call them, get a hold of them, set a meeting up. Don't jump them in a game. Don't ambush them. Set up an appointment so you can specifically talk about that and ask pointed questions, but don't attack. And and let the coach fill you in on what their thing, you know, what their philosophy is with this. Why isn't your son or daughter getting as much time as you think they are? Okay. It doesn't have to be a conflict. As a matter of fact, it should never be a conflict. Okay. The only time it really turns conflictual is if there's disrespect from one party to the other, right? Right. So if a parent, if a parent just takes those steps to keep cool and ask the right questions, communication is so important right? It, it is so important that you actually let that person, that coach answer the questions instead of you assuming you already know the answer. Right. Okay. Now, so, it's, I th especially think that that level, that elementary junior high level, like you said, the conversation is very different as well because really those should be de developmental stages. And, and I, I think that sometimes, and, and tell me if you agree with this, that sometimes there's too much emphasis placed on winning at those levels as opposed to developing athletes. Yes, absolutely. And and that's a that's a big that's a big coaching problem that I personally say is the 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 you know, if you look at athletes, and, and we'll just say a, a age group from 10 to 12 years old, from 12 to 14 years old or from 10 to 14 years old, there is a massive amount of development in those, in those years. 
you're you're talking a kid that is even close to puberty to a 14 year old kid that's been shaving for a year or two, you know, and, and is is starting to you know got testosterone going. I mean, there's a completely different. And that's for the guys. Girls very similar. Um, so so we're talking a huge scope of difference. The the biggest thing is with elementary and junior high kids is when when they're going in to talk to an adult, that's intimidating. You know, because, yeah. you know, they're still kids for the most part. And so to expect a kid of that age to go, you know, talk to a coach, that's, and that's why I, I recommend parents being the advocate for the, that athlete. And because that's really asking a lot of those kids to do. I'm not saying I, I say don't do it. I'm just saying it would be best at that age. I feel that the parent goes in to talk, you know. Um, but when you get to the high school level, then that's a little different deal. Then those kids are starting to develop. They're, you know, they're, they're young adults at that point, right? right. And, and then you can start advocating that they go in and, you know, if, if, if Janie is not playing, have her go in and talk to her coach. And I always used to tell my kids, you simply put it like this, um, coach, what do I need to do to get more playing time? Right. You just right. very pointed, but, but, you know, you, you have to be tactful about it and you have to be, um, respectful, but just find out, let the coach tell you what their expectations are. Okay. And, and nine times out of 10, just opening that line of dialogue, that communication r helps the situation because maybe it, it makes the coach realize, you know what, it really matters to this person. Right. You know, a coach may, you know, be able to justify it by, I don't think that kid wants to play anyway. I'm doing him a favor. You know, right. he never asks me. He never says anything about it. So he must not want to play. So when, when the parent or the athlete actually talks to them, and I don't want to use the word confronts them about it, but talks to them about it, it really makes it known to the coach that, you know what, this is, you know, it, this matters. You know, this matters to this athlete and, you know, to these people. And, and I think that's fair. And, and I guess Cardin is a coach and, and you as a coach, I don't know how many confrontations you had with parents. And in all the years of coaching, I had very, very few. Yeah. And I, I chalk it up to, I always tried to have an open line of communication with parents. Yep, for sure. Yep. You know, and I think that, that that was true for me in the classroom, but definitely true as coaching as well. And you know what I think is really important to to say about that from the the opposite side of the the token when a a kid or an athlete comes to you and asks you those pointed questions, um, you got to be truthful with them, and you also have to take them very seriously. And and this and and because it's not easy for a kid to come up and do that. And, and have the understanding that if they're even getting the, the gumption to be able to come and, and approach you like that, then it needs to be treated with uh, respect for sure, very seriously. But I also don't think it's fair to them to to kind of blow smoke, if you will. Do you agree? Absolutely. And, and as a matter of fact, um, again, as a coach, I coached with a lot of other coaches. And that was a real pet peeve of mine where a coach would tell a kid something you know, let's just use the same example I was just talking about. A kid comes to a coach and says, hey, coach, I'd like to play more. What do I need to do? 
the coach tells him what to do and the kid does it and he still doesn't play him. And more. he still doesn't play him. Yeah, and and right. that's the absolute, the worst thing that you can do to a kid. Cause now Absolutely. what you've shown him is that your, your word is not worth anything. Yeah. And two, what you've really translated to him is that there is nothing that you can actually do to be able yes. to, to, to increase your playing time. So you, you've, you've lost that, um, that athlete. Well, and, and you, you're, you're, you're a hypocrite, you know, yeah, you, you, yeah exactly. It, it just, it just, and and I saw it so many times. And you know what? Let's be honest. You know, every coach out there, you know, is not a great coach. You know, and and there's a lot of people out coaching that really have no business working with kids. They're right. not positive. They're not doing it for the right reasons. You know, you you talked about um, being concerned with the development of of these young adults, um, and and that's that's got to be a part of it. At the varsity level, winning is major. You know, you, you talk about, you know, winning being important, important. You, you, you go down to Texas and you look at the, the high school football, you know, situation down there. You right. have coaches that make six figures a year. They don't teach, they don't do anything. All they do is coach high school football. Right. Yeah. Now, do you think there's a little emphasis on winning there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You, you lose to your arch rivals. You might be gone your first year. Um, so yeah, there's an incredible amount of, so you can't just, you know, the, the, I've never said, Hey, you just got to have fun and let, you know, it, it depends what we're talking about. Are we talking about junior high football? Are we talking about summer league soccer? I mean, you, you want kids. It, it, it always should be enjoyable. Okay, I don't care what level. If your kids get done with your program and they go, well, we won a lot, but it sucked. I say yeah, you lost. Right. Yeah. I, I say you lost. You yeah, know, if those kids can't look back and, and be glad for the time and the effort they put in, and there, there's nothing saying that you have to be a jerk as a coach to be successful. You know, the the kind of the Bobby Knight complex, you know, where right. you have to be a tyrant in order to motivate those kids and be successful. And and I've never agreed with that whatsoever. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that too. I, I don't think that uh I don't I don't think that that is successful. I think you find yourself in yeah, I, I just don't think that that's a, a way for success. And also, I, I really think, and maybe, maybe this is why I wasn't a great coach, but I also think sometimes you have to you put a little perspective and bring a little reality into it as well, where, yes, you want to win, you want to be competitive, all those things have to happen. But at the same time, um, you, you got to look at the greater scheme of what you're trying to actually build. Because I think that the back end, the winning and the the competitiveness comes when you, you show you know, you care for the kids and you're, you're out there for each and every one of them. And I, I think the the buy-in and everything happens as a result of that initial mentality of, of being there for each, each one of the kids. Actually, you, you just said, uh, I think one of the most important aspects of sports and that is buy-in. Okay. And I always used to say to my kids, the, the most I can ask of each one of you is to buy in to this program. Okay. Buy into what I'm trying to teach you. And if you give me an opportunity, if you buy in and you believe me and accept what I'm trying to teach you, you know, don't, don't second guess it. Just, just go with it. Then it's my responsibility to make, make us successful. Right. In other words, if, if I ask kids to do this and they do it and we lose, they're going to lose, you know, faith in what I'm telling them. Right. Right. They're yeah. going to say, well, we did what you said and it didn't work. 
right? So, and, and so all you can ask for with those kids is them to believe in what you're, what you're, you know, you're teaching them, what you're, you're preaching, you're coaching. Yeah. And, and that's where it comes back to you. If, if you're doing your best and you're not successful, don't blame the kids. Okay. And, and how many coaches will not take responsibility for their errors and instead blame it on the kids? I mean, you, I know you and I have talked about this because you and I coached with a coach that did that. Yeah. Okay. yeah. It, 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 it was not his fault. It was the kids' fault. Right. Well, it's the same coach that uses the, the exact same program and the exact same um, everything that they've been doing the whole time. And then when it works for one group of kids and it doesn't for another group of kids, he yeah. blames the kids and not the fact that they were unwilling to change the program to suit the kids that they had. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and to kind of go back to the, we were talking about the relationship with parents and coaches is parents, I think in some cases um, are intimidated to talk to coaches. And coaches, some coaches like that. They don't want people in their business. They're very turfy. Say, they, they, pre- they prefer that way. Yeah, they, they do. Yep. They don't want people yep. calling them on their shit. And, yep. and, and that's wrong. And, and trust me, I know um, it's hard for parents, especially if they weren't athletes, especially if they weren't athletes. But you got to remember, you're not go, as a parent, you never want to go talk to a, a coach about X's and O's and strategy and this, that's none of your business. Okay. That is a coaching decision. If you need to talk to a coach, it should be about the well-being of your child. Or yeah. if you need to convey something that your child either can't or won't, that's when you need to do it. Okay. And if there's a system in place, if they say, well, your child needs to come talk to the coach first, you know, and I'm, again, I'm going to assume this is high school, then, then that's the way it should happen. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, if the child does go to the coach and gets nowhere or is disrespected, then the parent needs to get involved. And if the parent can't have a civil conversation with the coach, then you get administration involved. But you, you know, at some point, you have to be heard, and that no coach is untouchable. And I actually told that to a coach to his face. Um, you know, he was pretty arrogant about it, and I said, "Listen." No coach. And and I coached, you know, literally three, four or five times longer than this guy. And I said, listen, no coach is untouchable. Okay. You can't just do what you want with these kids and then expect them or the parents to have not to have any say about it. Okay. You can't do that. And and parents need to know there there are rules to this, you know. Yeah. You know, disrespecting kids and being abusive to kids is not acceptable ever. You know, and, and don't, don't kid yourself that it's some, oh, this is just, this is to toughen Jimmy up. The, again, that doesn't, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a physical practice or a tough weightlifting. We're talking about, you know, emotional or even possibly physical abuse or where kids, you know, it is, it is not positive. It's actually the opposite it is, is detrimental or hurtful to those kids. Yes, for sure. And you see that even, even with little kids. You know, and that's the amazing thing. You see these hot shot coaches in, 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 you'll see it, Cardin, I guarantee with your boys, you know, whether it's city league soccer or something, you're going to see these, a coach somewhere that is just taking it way too serious. Yeah. You know? Way too serious. Yep. I completely agree. And, and I don't know. I mean, as a parent, um, that's, <laughs> I don't think that that's something I'm going to be able, because I've seen both a- aspects of it, you know, a- as an athlete that had 
terrible coaches that ruined experiences for me to the other side of, of being a coach and seeing kind of that whole aspect of it as well. It's going to be, I'm just be honest. It'll be tough for me to sit idly by and watch a coach do that. Um, with, with, with my kids, it'll be really, it'll be really tough for that. Not that I will be confronting, but I'll definitely be <laughs> open. I will be opening dialogue and I will be asking pointed questions uh, because it, it, I know, I know the effects of what it can do to young, um, mentalities when you have a coach that's like that and what it, what it does to the sport. Well, absolutely. And, and the, the development of that child, like we've talked about before, you know, as much as people want to dismiss sports and especially in junior high and high school and say, Oh, that was then, you know, a lot of those experiences stay with you your entire life. Oh yeah. They don't go anywhere for sure. It's the same thing, you know, high school experiences, they, they follow you too. You know what I mean? They're not going anywhere. Yeah. No. And, and, and so as a parent, um, you know, again, in, you will see as a parent of young boys that, you know, if they do their sports and when they do their sports, um, you, you, it's a, it's a fine line between, you know, your, your kids are going to get yelled at. Okay. Your kids are going to get yeah. disciplined. You're, and, and, and that's, it, I, I guess in the bottom, you know, at, at the end of the day, you have to ask the question, is it for their betterment? Is this for their own good? You know, is this a lesson for them? And, you know, sometimes it is tough, you know, and, and getting yelled at by a coach. I'm not saying coaches can't ever yell at kids. I don't like it, but there's, you know, sports are intense sometimes. And, you know, when, when somebody raises a voice, it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, it's, it's just anger. It's intensity a lot of times. And you have to be understanding that, you you know, you can't say, geez, you don't raise your voice with my kid, but you you have to you really have to look at the at the instances as they occur instead of just saying well you don't ever yell at my kid you know right yeah and, and that and that's a tough one too because you know then you get a lot of people saying well geez we're we're making you know we're we're just making sissies of all the boys and and this unrealistic um, world where nobody gets yelled at nobody gets disciplined and things like that and that's not what it's about it's just about trying to make it you know um, beneficially you know, mutually beneficial for the, the, the parent, the coach and the athlete. Right. Right. The, the trifecta. And when they all work together the, the way they should, that's when you have, I, I believe very successful organizations and very successful sports. Yeah, no, it, it, it is. And, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen parents get, you know, you, you can, you can have a mild mannered say a woman, uh, you know, we, we can have a term for wrestling moms, right? Moms that moms of wrestlers, right? Yeah. They can be the most mild mannered, you know, nicest people in the world out in the public. And you see them when their kids wrestling and they're like, tear his head off, Billy, you know, just rip his head off. In, in, him, in you know? defense, wrestling is intense, especially when you see somebody that you're close to doing wrestling. I, I understand it. And I used to even, I not until I realized like, holy cow, this sport is intense. Yeah. So I can definitely see how the motions. Uh, well, and you, get parents, for sure. you get parents down on the edge of the mat and they're just screaming, you know, and you can't yeah. hear anything. And, and, and let me tell you my, my own opinion is I saw more young kids get burned out of wrestling than any other sport and I believe it was because of that very thing. It it was way too much intensity for, 
you know, and I coached little guy wrestling and I did everything I could. We would not allow parents on the mat. And we had, we had rules set up for that very thing because we realized the parents in a lot of cases couldn't control their emotions. Yeah. You know, right. You're talking four or five year old little wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. You know, little boys right. and girls that are wrestling. And, yeah. and you got parents just, just you know, would lose it. Yeah. Veins bulging in their head. Yeah. They're screaming, you know, and, yeah. and it's like your kid's getting physically assaulted and you're having to watch it. But it, it's just like I said, it, it just brings out this completely Jekyll and Hyde type thing. And, and you're like, holy cow. I mean, I, I love my kids too, and I get it. But at the same time, you got to, you know, take a chill pill and just, and relax a little bit and just let the, let the little kids enjoy what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You definitely have to. You, you so have, I, well, I, that's, that's what it comes down to too. I think we lose <laughs> that, that they're, this, they're out there for enjoyment. I mean, statistically, even getting a scholarship is, not guaranteed. You know what I mean? Oh, so no, no, at some no. point you got to realize, let the kids have some fun and, and let them, and let them learn and let them develop and let them compete in a very healthy way. Um, but at the end of the day, when they're coming off the court or the field or anything, it should have been an enjoyable experience. And if it's moving to where it's not, um, I think reasons that they need to be addressed for why that's the case. Yeah. No, nobody likes losing. Like the, I understand that aspect of it, but if it's something else, then then it needs to be probably addressed. Well, it it just like I said, I, I guess the, the 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 bottom line of of my message is, it's okay to be involved, you know, but but know when to be involved and know to what degree to be involved, right? You know? Yep. Um, because it, it is, and I and I can think of a lot of instances where I wish parents would back off. Mm-hmm. And then I can think of a lot of instances where I wish parents would have gotten involved. So, it, it, you know, it really is a case by case basis. And um, and I and I again, I think that it, it's funny because things either you know they're either this way or they're clear the other way. Like I said, when you see parents rushing onto the field to beat up the hockey coach, you know, it's just <laughs> right. It's, right. It's unbelievable. You're going. It is How did we get to that it's crazy? Point? You know, yeah, that just gets oh. psychotic. Speaking of, I think I got a little little guy coming in right now. Hold on. Something's, oh, boy. Something's at the door. Oh, what's that? Oh, he's got a little tray. Uh, you you want to make a monkey a monkey sound? <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I'm terrible. Okay. I know what that means, Carden. That you know what that means. That that it's means time. it's time for the monkey mark. <laughs> I I want to know your the, <laughs> the craziest uh, running that you've had with a parent in sports. Have you had anything completely um, off the wall? Um, the you know not not really. There there was one instance. Okay, and and this really because I'm sure some coaches could go. God, there's been so many. Yeah, I, I had one instance. Um, because again, most of the times it was just communication and, right. and I would make myself available. If parents wanted to talk to me, I'd set up a time, we'd come in and talk one time, uh, after a, it was after a football game, a parent, a dad walks up to me and I'd never met this dad before. And he grabs my hand and he, he grabs it like he's going to shake my hand. And I, I, he, the guy walks up, you know, we won the game and shakes my hand. All of a sudden he grabs my hand with his other hand and, and, and it's more of a clinch, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah. He goes, yeah, we'll be fucking seeing you later. Like, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Oh uh, like, yeah! What the hell? Uh, does, who are yeah. you? You know, yeah. like, <laughs> who are you? Yeah, I, literally, question. first thing I said, I turned to one yeah. of the other coaches, and I'm yeah. going, "Who? Who was that?" And he goes, "Oh, that was so and so's dad." Well, then all of a sudden, I'm going, "Oh, because so and so didn't get a dress out because uh-huh. so and so was getting disciplined." And anyway, so that was the confrontation. This dad walking up, grabbing my hand, saying, "You'll be fucking seeing us later." Oh, and yeah. I'm cool. like, "What the hell?" So I immediately, immediately found the superintendent at the game and said, "This is what happened." And I will not meet with that guy because, you know, A, I didn't like that. And, you know, everybody's got a, everybody's got a point where you're not going to take any crap from somebody. And I, I told the superintendent, if he wants to meet with me, you will be there and I will meet with him, but you will be there. You are the, you know, the, the intermediary. Um, and it, it, the meeting was set up. The guy didn't show. Oh, you don't say Nope. And then his <laughs> wife came in, met with the superintendent later, apologized. And then uh, within probably three weeks, the guy found me and apologized in person. Nice. Well, that was good. Yeah. It, you know, and it's just so ridiculous. But, but you know, you can see where all of a sudden that turns into somebody's throwing fists or something like that. You know, you just start, start chucking punches at you and you're yeah. like, what the hell? No, so, no I, I was pretty lucky. I, I know people can tell a lot worse stories, but that was actually my, my worst interaction with a, with a parent. Yeah. I don't think I had the only one that I can really think of is that we did the same thing. We had a kid that was actually supposed to go to regionals, I think, and he had been just not showing up to practice and in general was not somebody that we thought that we could bring with us and trust in a hotel room. I mean, that's how bad it is. Oh, yeah. So we kind of made the decision, hey, and we 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 told uh, the principal, we told the individual, and we basically said, hey especially with this last thing that you have done, we don't have the, the trust that we can bring you on a trip like this and that you will not cause us trouble. So we, you know, did the whole thing. You're not coming. This is what it is. And we, you know, we brought the parents involved. Of course they were upset, um, but it was our decision. We went through the principal, everything was happening, right? The next day, unbeknownst to us as coaches, the parents had met with the principal and they had reversed our decision. Oh, the, yes. the the principal overrode your decision. The principal who has already backed us had a meeting with the parents, and then they kind of went, "Oh yeah, I guess you're right. He should, old Johnny should be able to go." Now that sucks. Yeah, that I'll, sucks. I'll admit that that was I. I lost all respect for that principal when that happened. Yeah, you don't do that. You you don't do that. I mean, yeah, and and without even meeting with you, that's that's really without even meeting with us, right? Exactly, exactly. Kind of brought it up and said, well, you know, we kind of talked with the parents and thought it would be best if if Johnny was able to go. Hmm. So what I should have said back then, but I was still relatively new, was that, oh, okay, great. So you'll be chaperoning and staying in the room with him then. Yeah. Um, No, that well, was yeah, that's a whole nother thing. When you take kids on, on road trips and stuff and you're spending the night in hotels, you know, I spent, you know, until, you know, easily 1230 to one in the morning, just walking halls, you know, yeah, exactly. keeping your ears out and exactly right. kids, yeah. you know, 
Stay out of there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kids are kids, and they're very resourceful. And uh, yeah, and half the kids that are doing track—that's the only reason they're going out for the team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the coed, the coed thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's good stuff. Well, all right, buddy. Well, our our time is up, and um, uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And you know, it's a it's one of those things. It'll be interesting as your kids get older to revisit this from your perspective as a parent. Yeah, it will be. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all happens. I mean, I hate to say I, I think that it's far off, but it really isn't. It'll be happening before I even know it. Well, and and Jenna, you know, your wife is such a super, super nice person, but it, it like I said, it, it it'll be interesting to see if she has a Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, that'll be the most interesting <laughs> thing. Exactly right. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Kill him, Mark. Rip his head off. <laughs> Rip his arms off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Yeah, that's going to be uh, Well, it's enjoyable. Um, so, all right, buddy. Well, listen, great, great talking with you. Um, enjoyed it very much. Yep, as did I. Episode okay. 13. Episode 13 in the book. It wasn't unlucky. I think it was good. No, it was great. All right, man. Until next time. Good night, Claire. Good night, Claire.